0: Thank you to all of you for uh, making it a a priority and part of your Lord's Day routine to come uh, early, uh, to come to this nine o'clock hour where where we can wrestle with topics, with subjects uh, that the Scripture speaks of, but uh, maybe are harder to handle uh, in a sermon series or in another um, type venue. And so, thank you for coming that that you might grow as disciples, right? That's why we call this Discipleship Hour. And so let me pray as we gather uh, this morning and ask that the Lord would uh, be present among us and would teach us and guide us by His Word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for this, uh, Your day, this first day of our week, the day where we remember that our Lord Jesus rose from the grave Accomplishing all that you sent him to do and displaying his power over death and your satisfaction with his obedience. Father, how grateful we are to sit here this morning as, as his, as those who seek to follow him with all that is in us, but also those who are called by him known by Him. And we ask this morning that as we delve into Your Word, as we begin this new topic of study and discussion, that Your Spirit of wisdom would be in this place, that You would guide us in the truth, that You would keep us from error, that You would give us love, for one another and unity even among disagreements or differing views Father we pray for our children as they are nurtured by teachers who have invested much to point them to your truth would you bless their morning as well that we all might grow Grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, Amen. Well, today marks uh, today marks the last of our uh, trimesters uh, in Adult Discipleship Hour. Um, for the last few years, we have uh, scheduled our year in three uh, nice semesters. And this is the last of uh, three semesters. I want to thank, again, uh, Chris, who got us off, who got us started this year, and then Bob, who, um, who just finished uh, not too long ago. Uh, I will say that Bob, uh, Bob raised the bar for teaching discipleship hour that I'm going to bring back to a more sane level Um I've already, uh, someone's already mentioned, uh, somebody's already asked where, our pa- where my packets are, and I, I don't have any packets, but now I feel the pressure this week to put together a packet. So there may be a packet next week <laughs> with like, you know, pictures of, of demons and angels and all sorts of stuff, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back to where it should be, to where Bob was leading us. Um, no, I think we all benefited from, from Bob's great uh, teaching. Can you believe that's the first class that Bob has ever taught in the church anyway? I mean, he's done it in other contexts, but that's the first class he's ever taught in the church. And uh, boy, we can be thankful that he's, he's one of ours. Um, so, uh, so, thanks to Chris, thanks to Bob. These, uh, these semesters… Uh, and we're going to try to do this as we think intentionally about coming years. These semesters have been uh, have been connected, right? And uh, there's one word that has connected these three trimesters, and, and that word would be what? Spiritual. It, that word would be spiritual. Um, we started off with spiritual disciplines. Uh, we continued with spiritual gifts, and now Uh, in some ways we turn to the most spiritual of them all, and that is warfare. And I say that not because warfare is more spiritual than spiritual disciplines or spiritual gifts, but I think when we think about disciplines, we tend to think very earthy thoughts, don't we, right? We think about on our knees. We think about opening the Word early in the morning. We think about fasting, refraining from food. We, we think about gifts. We think, although Bob has tried to, and, and I think in many ways been successful at lifting our eyes above, when we think about gifts, we think about how we relate to one another, right? We think about how we accomplish things as a body here on earth. But then we come to spiritual warfare, and there's no kind of earthly, horizontal, way for us to think about that. And that's why I say in some ways it's kind of the most spiritual, even though it not ought to be. But we are spiritual beings. 1 Corinthians 12, it's a passage we are familiar with because Bob went there with us, starts off in the ESV. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. And I actually read in a book, and then I verified in my own Greek New Testament, it doesn't say spiritual gifts. Paul says, now concerning the spiritual. And of course, gifts is implied because gifts is what he's going to talk about and what is coming. But in some ways, I think that is a great phrase. Now concerning the... The spiritual brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, whether it be spiritual gifts, whether it be spiritual disciplines, or whether it be what this class is intended to be all about, and that is spiritual warfare. We wanted to do spiritual warfare. I say we, being the the leadership, the elders, we wanted to do spiritual warfare, because we think that we need to think about this more as a people and as a church. And so, for the next nine weeks, taking us into the first couple weeks of of June, we're going to think about, we're going to discuss this topic of the spiritual, specifically spiritual warfare now, this class has been billed all along as a, as a tag team, uh, and it is, uh, it is a tag team class. I'm not gonna be the only one that is leading us, that is teaching us. Uh, Theo and I have met on a couple different occasions uh, to talk through, to pray through uh, where we're going with this class. Uh, but uh, in light of Theo's schedule and his calling as a lawyer, um, I'm, we're going to front load it with, with Nate and then back load it with Theo uh, because the, uh, the actually the last two classes, which I think are going to be the hardest classes, so <laughs> you're, you're welcome. <laughs> They're going to be the hardest classes uh, to deal with. Uh, I'm going to be gone, uh, Lord willing. I'm going to be on sabbatical uh, in the first two weeks of June. And so Theo uh, will, will back load, I'll front load, and then in the middle, uh, in the heart of the class, which I'll lay out for you in a minute, or in a few minutes, uh, both Theo and I will be engaging you and, and talking to you. Um, this is going to be. We wrestled about uh, whether to make this a book study, and and it is going to be a book study, kind of. Uh, we're we're calling it an optional book study. So we do have a book, and I get that. I'll get that to you in a minute. Um, um, but it's an optional book. We're not going to follow that book rigidly. Uh, we have each been pouring through at least a half a dozen or more other books uh, on this topic, uh, books that have ranged from kind of the, the the center, the center reform lane, to to way over on the shoulder. Uh, of the evangelical world, and so we're going to be bringing in hopefully more than just what the book uh, that you have the option of of using to follow along uh, presents to you. But you're you're welcome to use that book as well. And our hope, our our uh, genuine hope, is that um, that this this class. We're not quite sure how this is going to work, but we're, our hope is that the class will not just be pure lecture. Will not just be pure uh, us. Uh, teaching, although we do want to talk about some things that we 've wrestled with, uh, but we also want to want to discuss things as well. So all that for a little bit of introduction. Let me ask you a question to get us uh, launched in today what 's the first word? this is not a rhetorical question. What is the first word, or what are some things, maybe not a word? What are some things that come to mind? When you hear the phrase spiritual warfare? Prayer. Prayer. Good. Full armor of God. Full armor of God. Excellent. Demon. Demons. What was that? Demon. The devil. Powers and principalities. Powers and principalities. Excellent. Temptation. Screw tape. Screw tape letters. Ken? Temptation. Temptation. Excellent. Excellent. Anybody else? Good, all good answers. Tim. Real. real. Excellent. That's a good one to end on. My goal for today's class, for the next 30 minutes, is not just to set the stage, give you an introduction, but to really just hammer home that one word that Tim just said, real. Real. Uh, where is spiritual warfare in the Bible? Where is that phrase? Excuse me. Where is that phrase in the Bible, spiritual warfare? Emily's shaking her head. It's not there? It's not there. there the, the phrase spiritual warfare is not in the Bible. But the concept of spiritual warfare is all over the Bible. And you guys who know the Scriptures well have already voiced some of those key phrases, principalities and power, armor of God. Even the Lord's Prayer, which we pray often here at Ascension, uh, contains the phrase, deliver us from the evil one, right? That is spiritual warfare. And so how would we define spiritual warfare? There's a lot of books that have nice definitions of what spiritual warfare is for them. I think there's no greater definition for what spiritual warfare is than Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12, "...for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness." Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is our working definition of spiritual warfare. And I chose it because you can't argue with it because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's spiritual warfare. So the secondary question would be, what is is the wrestling? If we wrestle against flesh and blood, what what is the wrestling that Paul uh, who wrote this to the church at Ephesus, a church that we're going to talk about some today in worship. What is the wrestling that Paul is talking about? Okay, being opposed. In what arena? Doctrine, theology. Okay. Okay. Mike. Okay. Prayer. Tim. Um uh, like like Brett says, if you're opposed that means that there is an opponent, which means you wrestle because you are being you are you are under attack and either you can actually fight back or you can simply be pinned. Okay. Good. Th- was there Theo. Excellent. Excellent. The battle for righteousness. righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. It's life, right? I mean, the wrestling is simply life. Let me read a quote to you from a book that I was reading. It says spiritual warfare is not so much about demon possession, territorial spirits, or generational bondage as it is overcoming Satan's lies and deceits in our own lives. And the, the point I simply want to make about the wrestling is when we talk about spiritual warfare, we're not talking about these cosmic realities uh, surrounding presidential elections or world wars or, or spiritual realities that are just for the mission field, right, or just for cultures that that, that are still largely animistic, right? They, they believe in spirits and they have witch doctors and that kind of thing. Spiritual warfare is just life. It's part and parcel of our lives. And I think uh, one of the things that I want to do in this class that we want to do is uh, I think in the evangelical church, I think there, there's, there, obviously there's a lot of different views on spiritual warfare, but I think as Reformed Presbyterians, we can sometimes just, uh, how can I say this uh, generously, we can kind of dumb down spiritual warfare where, where it's, it's only about life. It's only about uh, resisting temptation to sin. It's only about um, it, it's only about uh, the battle of whether we should pray in the morning or, or that kind of thing. And then there's another side of the evangelical church, which uh, we might say those who focus on the, the, the deliverance ministries. And for them, spiritual warfare is all about the it's all about the flashy, right? It's all about that those territorial spirits or that uh, that demonic possession. And I think I want to, to say, I want to bring us, I want to say there's, there's value in both, and I want to bring us kind of into the center, into the middle, because I think sometimes in the church we can swing the pendulum too far in one direction or the other. The spiritual forces are that which we can't see, but that which we believe that's there. I want to read a, a passage to you. Um, Something that was something that was part of my childhood, maybe it was part of your childhood as well. It could have begun in any in any town. Bacon's Corner was nothing special, just one of those little farming towns far from the interstate. Nothing more than a small hollow dot on the AAA road map, with exit signs that offered gas, no lodging, maybe a little food if the place was open, and a little more. But it began in Bacon's Corner. It was a normal Tuesday morning. The workday was over. Supper was on in most of the homes. The stores were locking up. The tavern was filling up. The fields and farms right across from the Tow Springs, Claytonville Road, were getting warmer and greener with each day. And now the evening breeze was carrying a lot of mid-April smells, apple and cherry blossoms, plow dirt, a little mud, some cattle, some manure. It was a normal Tuesday evening. No one could have expected anything unusual. No one saw or heard a thing. No one could have. But the commotion started behind a dismal little rented farmhouse just south of Fred Potter's place, a flapping, a fluttering, a free-for-all, and then a cry, a long, eerie shriek, an echoing, slobbering wail that raced into the forest like a train whistle through a town, loud, muffled, loud, muffled, moving this way and that way through the trees like a hunted animal, then a flash of light, a fireball, blinking and burning through the forest, moving with blinding speed right behind that siren, almost on top of it, more cries and screams, more flashes. Flashing lights. Suddenly, the forest was filled with them. The trees ended abruptly where the Amherst dairy began. The chase broke open. "'Broke into the open. First out of the forest came a bug, a bat, a black bulb-eyed thing, its dark wings whirling, its breath pouring out like a long yellow ribbon. It couldn't fly fast enough but clawed the air with its spidery arms, desperate for speed and shrieking in total panic. Right behind it, so close, so dangerously close, the sun exploded out of the forest, a brilliant comet with wings of fire.' Tracing a glimmering trail and a sword of lightning outstretched in burly bronze hands, the black thing in the comet shot into the sky over Bacon's corner, zigzagging, shooting this way and that way like wild fireworks, skipping down. The warrior turned and soared higher, spinning his long sword above his head, tracing a circle of light. He burned with the heat of battle the fervor of righteousness. His fellows were consumed with it, striking demons from the sky like foul insects, vanquishing them with strong swords, relentlessly pursuing them and hearing no pleas. There was one left. It was spinning, tumbling on one good wing. I'll go, I'll go, it pleaded. Your name, ordered the angels. Despair. The warrior swatted the demon away with the flat of his blade and it fled, gone yet still able to do evil. And then it was over. The demons were gone, but not soon enough. Is she all right? Asked Nathan the Arabian, sheathing his sword. Arm off the African made sure she's alive, if that's what you mean. The mighty Polynesian, Moda, added, injured and frightened, she wants to get away. She won't wait, and now despair is free to harass her. Ever heard anything like that? Frank Peretti, "Piercing the Darkness." I read these books when I was a teenage boy, and uh, this present darkness—I can't find my copy of it, but this is—I think this is Anna's copy of "Of Piercing the Darkness." Anybody ever read these books? Okay. What do you think of that description that I just read? Thoughts about it? Make a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Why hasn't that thing been made into a movie? Any other thoughts? Bit fanciful. Okay, Theo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anybody else? I think there is a. Maybe I'm getting myself into trouble. I'm saying this, but I think there's a real help in that kind of thing. I know for a young teenage boy trying to understand spiritual realities, that kind of thing was helpful for me. Now you could say it was also harmful in some ways, because indeed Frank Peretti in his novels like this uh, go—he goes beyond what Scripture, as Theo said, beyond what Scripture tells us in terms of the rules of engagement, and how the spiritual realm works. But one of the things that was so helpful for me in reading an account like that is just hitting home the reality, going back to the very beginning of what Tim said, that these things are real. Names and how, you know, the the bulby eyes and the chase through the forest and all that stuff Notwithstanding, these things are real. And my question is, why don't we, and maybe we do, maybe, we, maybe we do in your maybe you do in your circles or in your life, but why don't we talk about this more? Why don't we think about these things more? Any ideas? Doug. They're not intellectual enough. They're not intellectual enough. Excellent. Let me read you a quote. This is a, a, a great book. It's one of the books. It's not the book we're going to base or uh, structure the class around, but this is one of, a great book to get, Spiritual Warfare, A Biblical Balance Perspective by Brian Borgman and Rob Ventura. They write, Since the 18th century Enlightenment, the worldview of the West has grown increasingly closed to the supernatural. Consequently, many people deny a world that gov- God governs in which the devil and his de- demons are our enemies. This worldview is called naturalism. In this view, everything has a natural cause, and nothing exists beyond that which we can see with our eyes. The biblical worldview, however, clashes with naturalism and not only embraces a sovereign God who rules over the world and the events of our lives, but also acknowledges Satan and demons. As Christians, we might have a biblical worldview in certain areas, but perhaps our perspective is more naturalistic than we realize. When we adopt this perspective, we view the universe as closed and leave little room for the supernatural. Although we may give credence to God's providence, the spiritual and supernatural do not factor much into the way that we view everyday life. These are staunchly Reformed guys. Th- that's my point, and that's why I'm, I'm, just today I want to camp out on just this reality, this one basic truth. That there is an invisible world, and we are at war. There is an invisible world, and we are at war. And I think Doug is exactly right. He, he, um, these authors are exactly right. Thinking about the spiritual is not natural for us, particularly in our modern scientific post Enlightenment age. Not only that, but we know as Christians who take seriously God's Word that there are all kinds of abuses when it comes to this stuff, all kinds of abuses in regards to spiritual warfare, all kinds of ways that the Scripture is gone well beyond. And so, because of those things, I think at times we throw the baby out with the bathwater I think we, I will say this, to our credit, I think we agree that we have a supernatural faith, right? We just celebrated the resurrection. Bam! That was a supernatural event. And so I'm not saying that we don't think supernaturally in a rationalistic age, but I think we think more about intrusions. We think about supernatural intrusions, Right? We pray for that miracle contrary to medical science, and lo and behold, it happens sometimes. And we praise God and we say, thank you for that intrusion into our natural world, into the natural science, scientific world. And although God governs and sustains this world by scientific law, and He's given us the ability to understand our world according to science, I think that just naturally can close our minds to the daily reality of supernatural grace, of supernatural faith, of a supernatural world that we're interacting with. Yeah. Yeah. I see them all the time. I see the spirit of the world right. and, its, and its influence on, on my life. And I see my own flesh. And, and so when I'm having problems, that's where I tend to go. Right. To look, for, you, you know, to look for what's going on. Right. And, The devil's also there it 's a great point, so you, you this is a great segue to what I, what I think the second reality is not only are we scientific post enlightenment people, so we struggle to think about the fact of the supernatural world existing every day of our lives, but we are reformed Presbyterians who believe in total depravity, who believe that we are sinful men and women in need of grace in need of Daily lives of repentance. And so we go there first. We go to the flesh first. We go to the brokenness of our world first. And I'm not saying that that's inappropriate, it is appropriate. But there is another force at work that mixes in with those things and that sometimes acts independently of those things. I think also, as reformed folks, I feel it in my own life, we love, we love. Things to be systematized and neat, right? We've got three uses of the law. We've got the three kinds of law. We've got, we've got all these ways that we have helpfully, through our forefathers, through their wisdom, through their scholarly work, we have systematized and understood the, the teaching of Scripture. And the fact of the matter is, spiritual warfare is just messy. It's mysterious. And so, it's not like we're going to come out of this class and we're going to have, ah, oh, now I can systematize spiritual warfare into one of my reform categories that I've been dying to put it into. No, you're not. You're going to come out of this class and it's just going to be messier than it began, than when you began. Let me read another, uh, another um, quote from these guys. In contrast, proponents of the other extreme street, he's talking about these two extremes that I went over just a minute ago. Proponents of the other extreme treat spiritual warfare as the lens through which they perceive everything. Those who hold to this view virtually attribute virtually everything that happens to demonic activity and spiritual warfare. This worldview is built more upon fictional books, thanks Pre and movies than the Bible. David Pallison notes, a great deal of fiction, superstition, fantasy, nonsense, nuttiness, and downright heresy flourishes in the church under the guise of spiritual warfare in our times. So we want to be careful to, to fall in line with these two, to, to, to stay in the middle of these two extremes, but also just to recognize our own tendency as Reformed believers, as post-Enlightenment people, um, to not think about this as much as we might should. So, the goal of this class really boils down to this, to renew and conform our minds to think differently about the world in which we live and the struggles in which we face. I don't want to come out of this class for us thinking there's a demon around every corner, or there's a demon for everything that we're experiencing, every struggle that we're experiencing. I want us to come out of this class more prayerful and more needy about the things that we face on our Christian journey on a daily basis. I, wanna, I want us to come out of this class thinking, okay, I am struggling with something. Where, where is this coming from? Maybe it's coming from your heart. Maybe it's coming from the brokenness and the sin of another individual. Or maybe there is a real spiritual element that needs to be prayed against. That you need to fall to your knees and recognize this is not, it's not of me. So dreams are like that. I've shared with you... Um, a while ago, I, sh- I shared with you as a congregation, and I think I made the plea to pray for your pastor on Saturday night. Because I struggle at times with my Saturday night sleep. I'm not a guy who has a hard time sleeping. But on an evening when I am, got my whole heart and mind turned towards the Lord's day, tor- turned towards my calling as your pastor, as the one who proclaims God's truth to you, I have recognized that there are times where I feel it's in the middle of the night. I don't think it's my sin. I don't think it's my wife who's sleeping next to me in her sin. I don't think it's the brokenness of our world. I think it's spiritual assault, mysterious spiritual assault in the middle of, of the night, where I will, ha- I w- will have nightmares I would even get up at night, uh, scared, awake as a result. And I shared that with you a long time ago, and, and I have become, we have become, Ann and I have become much more vigilant praying on Saturday night. I know many of you have become more, much more vigilant praying on Saturday night. Um, I've added Leandra and Brendan to my prayers on Saturday night, as she has now has an upfront role in our midst leading us in worship. Um, Even a few, and I I don't want to kind of launch into, there'll be more time to talk about experiences and stories, so I don't want to launch into this too much, but I shared this with Theo a little while ago, um, or a few couple weeks ago when we got together. Even in preparing for this class, Theo and I went in saying, okay, we're preparing for a class for spiritual warfare. We ought to be ready for spiritual assault and I remember I had one evening where I was really pouring through this book and I was spending a lot of time in it and really wrestling with some of the thoughts. And then I closed the book and I put it on my, and I went to sleep and I, that's, that, that night was awful. And I won't tell you the details of it, but it was pretty significantly spiritual attack. And I woke up the next morning, I said, okay, got to be more diligent praying uh, for, for what is going on. In my life, what is going on in the spiritual realm around me? And at, when I say those kinds of things, I hope it doesn't create. And one of the things I do not want this class to create is some kind of going back to the bulby eyes and the bat wings flying out of the forest. Some kind of like fear, like oh my gosh, what what you know what's in this room? You know, scary things. Uh, th- this is not a subject of fear. This is a subject of strength, right? Ephesians six, ten: Be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of His might. One one author says, we ought to understand that as allow yourselves to be continually strengthened by the power already available to you in your new position and your relationship with Christ. And so we're going to actually spend a whole week, in a few weeks, we're going to spend a whole week on spiritual warfare and waging spiritual warfare out of victory. Because this is not a subject that is meant to create fear anxiety in any way, even as we press in that there is a spiritual realm, that you need to be aware of it, that you need to be prayerful about it, that you need to be fighting against it, that you need to stand strong in the Lord against it. Even, though, even as we press into those things, no fear as children of God, only strength and victory that comes from the resurrection And from the cross of Christ. And so the truth for today is there is an invisible world, and we are at war. Does anyone know what platform nine and three quarters is? Ah, the Baileys do. Anybody else? Heidi knows. Platform nine and three quarters is what, Emily? It's Harry Potter's, it's Harry Potter's platform at King's Cross Station where he comes with his, with his owl and he comes with his suitcases and he's on his way to catch the Hogwarts Express. And so he comes and there's, there's, uh, there's um, platform nine, there's platform ten, he can't find platform nine and three quarters, but then he finds it because he sees others. And he walks into this wall and he just kind of gets sucked in this wall and boom, he's in a whole nother realm. I love, now I know there's a lot of, maybe not in this room, but in, in the past there's been a lot of hoopla about Harry Potter. I, I love Harry Potter for the reason, one of the reasons being that Harry Potter, as well as the Narnia books and the Narnia movies, these books, and, and as well as, and we could go to a host of Hollywood movies, even some that we would never watch, that flirt with the fact that we live in a supernatural world, that this world is not all that we see. And one of the reasons I love Harry Potter is because I have a lot of kids, and these, thing, these books and these realities have worked into their worldview the fact that there is more than what we see. And yes, it's not Hogwarts, and it's not Harry Potter per se, but at least that category now exists in their thinking. Ecclesiastes 3.11 said, God has put eternity into our hearts. And so we see it all over books and all over movies. We are a post-enlightenment, rationalistic, scientific society, and yet God has put eternity in our hearts, and so we can't get away from this wondering, this wondering about what lies behind that we can't see. Boy, I am taking way too much time. What does the Bible show and tell us? Real quick, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. We've got to move along because I'm being way more long-winded than I thought. 2 Kings chapter 6. This is one of the classic passages that help us, I think. We've looked at this before. 2 Kings chapter 6. The evil king of Syria was out for Elisha, the man of God who keeps tipping off the Israelites concerning his plans. And so we read in verse 8 of 2nd Kings chapter 6. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware, because the Syrians are going down there. King of Israel said this place, da-da-da-da. Jumping down. Um Verse 13, and, and he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. And he, so he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So, the Lord opened his eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's a moment when the invisible becomes visible, and then conversely, the enemies of God, ironically, they become blind. They become unable to see. Daniel chapter 10, and we don't have to turn there, but Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, that's another example where, and we'll talk more about this later in the class, that idea of of territorial spirits, but that's the idea where the angel was prevented from coming to Daniel. But what was the point of that sermon? Does anyone remember that good, good, memorable, hard-hitting point that Nate made? Did our prayers connect with spiritual realities? Yes, that was the point. Our prayers connect with spiritual realities. Remembered. Um, I remembered it. Yeah, I remembered it. Um, of course, we could go all throughout the New Testament and look at Jesus' interaction with the demonic, with legion. Um, and then let me, let's just look at one more, 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul's words to the Corinthian church. Um, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So, <clears throat> what's the takeaway? Well, Bob Miller has a phrase that he uses uh, when, when he's talking about organizations. Perhaps you've heard it before. He says, you don't know what you don't know. Is that, that's right, right? Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak that and suggest for this class, we don't see what we don't see. We don't see what we don't see. We do have a supernatural gospel, clearly. We've been saved supernaturally. We have a Christ who's risen from the grave supernaturally. But we live, we live that gospel out supernaturally. And I think we need this awareness. We've got to have this awareness. And so, for the next eight weeks, uh, I know we didn't get too much into into the exciting, flashy stuff, but I really wanted to just camp out on this one reality because I just don't think we think about it enough. I don't think about it enough. I get so caught up in just the way things work and the way I know that things work that when I struggle, I don't I don't bring to mind the fact that there's another realm, the fact that there's a war, the fact that I'm caught in the middle, and this may be an intersection in my daily life with those, with those very realities. So, for the next eight weeks, we're going to set our minds here. We're going to dive into who we are fighting, how He fights, what our weapons are. We're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 6, and rightly so. That's pon- kind of the penultimate uh, verse or passage when it comes to spiritual warfare. We're going to spend a lot of time in that, um, in that uh, passage and, uh, and hopefully have some rich discussion and some good growth in regards to these things. Now, you're asking about um, books. So, the book that, that we've chosen to use is a book called The Invisible War. And again, this is one of about, you know, six or eight books that we have consulted and we have read. This does not say all that we want to say, and it says some things that we wouldn't want to say. And that's why I like it. I, didn't, I wanted to pick something that was kind of middle of the road. So Chip Ingram, I don't know, he's a pastor in California. Don't think he's reformed per se, not Presbyterian, but he is, he's evangelical. And uh, from the books that I read, this was this was my favorite, and so I pressed my case for Theo, and he relented. Yes. Yes. I got the lawyer. I got the lawyer back. No, he, he was kind. He was kind. He didn't press back. So, um, I have about, so again, this is optional. You're welcome to grab this book um, and to, uh, to use it. I have uh, basically the schedule. <laughs> this, is my, this is my lame excuse for a packet. I have a half sheet, I have a half sheet for the class, um, but next week I'm going to bring pens and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I have a half sheet that you can use um, to uh, to guide you in terms of your reading. So this week, four fifteen, we talked about the Invisible War. That's basically chapters one and two of this book, The Invisible War. Next week, we're going to talk about the enemy. And that's chapter three of this book, The Invisible War. But we're going to talk much more about uh, than than just the content of that book. So I have, uh, I think I have ten books uh, that are ready for your um, for you to grab. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, you know, sharing as couples and. Maybe you can work that out in your marriage. That'd be great. Um, so, just 10 books. And, and if you, I mean, I bought these off of Amazon. So, if we run out, you can just order one yourself. So, um, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this time this morning to think upon these realities um, and to begin to let them seep into our hearts and to our minds and, and to our existence. Um, Father, I pray once again for this class that it would be profitable uh, as we uh, know our enemy, as we come to, to learn how we ought to engage him, how we ought to follow you and, and fight this fight of faith uh, that you have laid out for us. Give us wisdom, give us grace. Father, now as we turn our hearts to worship, we ask that you would... Um, Set them there that Your Spirit would be in this place um, guiding us, teaching us, encouraging us as Your people. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.